Jump in, dive in, lean in. Like, like magic happens not in the comfort zone. And it's 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 hard to be vulnerable often, or some people find it hard to show up and put it on the table. Hey, date one, this is what I'm looking for. This is what my dreams are. These are what my core values are. These are what my like non-starters are. Like, does that resonate with you? That's not the standard practice. And then once it does, if there's a little magic, it's like, wait, we wanna protect ourselves. Wait, we might be hurt. Like, wait, uh, uh, but no, dive in. Hello, everybody. Welcome into the Zal. The Zal is a yeshiva room where the concept of gossiping has been rebranded as matchmaking. Joining me, as always, is Mr. Adam Valen Levinson. Adam is the cover model of the calendar of nice Jewish boys in the Yale sociology <laughs> department. Adam, good afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wish. Did you see my new headshot? I I am no longer I'm no longer in the department. Uh, I'm no longer oh, in shoot. the department. Yeah, it, not because I got kicked out. Because I because you know because I it, whatever the other thing is graduating graduation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How did you know the official noise of the Yale sociology? <laughs> <laughs> Use that for yourself. Joining us today is a man who directly is responsible for arguably the most Jewish marriages and subsequently, hopefully, Jewish babies in the last decade, Mr. David Yaris, founder and current CEO of JSwipe. David, thank you for joining us here in the Zal. No longer CEO, but thank you. Found like founder for sure. It was a wild, wild ride. I'm no longer involved, believe it or not, but but it still obviously is near and dear to my heart. No way. So you could actually weigh into J Swipe objectively. Oh, let's go, baby. Let's go. <laughs> what's that? Yeah. What does that what does that feel like having released the baby into the wild? It was confronting for sure. I mean, basically, first of all, the whole thing is a blessing. The whole thing is a blessing, you know, in the sense that like Holy moly, definitely divine, definitely magic, definitely blessing, definitely hustle. Um, then it definitely happened. Like it was definitely the most wild, exhilarating ride of life so far. And then, you know, easy come, easy go. As we were blowing up, we were sued for the letter J from J date. No. Uh, believe it or not, because by the way, just in case you're trying to start anything Jewish, don't use the letter J. Personal advice, you know, even though JNF, JCC, JDC, literally everything Jewish is called J, but somehow, we were sued and then we were acquired as part of that lawsuit. And so, what? you know, we were, yeah. And then we were part of the J-Date family for a while. And I was, you know, there for a little bit. And then about two years ago, my time has come to an end there. And how does it feel? It feels what I call full range, full range. It's like, I have all the feelings about it. Like, first of all, it's a blessing for it to exist or have existed. It was like the most incredible ride of life. Definitely, as you mentioned, thank God, like we touched many, many, many tens of thousands of people's lives. We had a million plus users, tens of thousands of marriages. What a fucking magical journey. I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about it. So, but, um, you know, let's just put it this way. It's definitely past prime. That's for damn sure. Like not even a question. You know, we were rocking and rolling and on the front lines of innovation in the dating space broadly, you know, seven years ago, eight years ago, we were pushing features to market before Hinge, Tinder, before other people. Like they started taking some of our features. Wow. You know, of course, we were built off of some of their thinking. Like we were on the front lines of innovation. And now, you know, objective third party, it, it feels like a relic of its time. You know what I mean? It, you know, it's not... It's wow. not the fastest, not the freshest. And in the world of technology, you got to be new things to stay relevant. And it's been a minute. It's been a minute. Mm. And by a minute, I mean like five or six years. Do I need to be worried about having a J in acronym form in the Young Jewish Professionals of Indianapolis's name? I mean, you know, I don't want to live in fear. So I'd say no, <laughs> but you never know. But no, I think you're fine. I think honestly, it was just because like they were worried that we were just eating their lunch. And so they just like flexed their weight a little bit. I just have to say before, like the idea of a lawsuit that ends in a merger just feels like the most kind of Jewish dating experience feels like the perfect <laughs> metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, dude. Yeah. That's so funny and true. Yeah, the tension is high, but it's just how I like it. Yeah, you always remind me that I hate you.
All right. So that's actually really cool because you aren't constricted by the bounds of corporations. So I'm actually really excited to hearing your thoughts on things. I did a little research and was surprised that you are a very introspective and thoughtful person. So just really excited about hitting certain topics and especially with all your experience in the field of Jewish dating. The Jewish concept of dating has a little bit of a paradox connected with it, in my opinion, I should say. There's the two most often quoted Jewish lines or primary Jewish source lines from the Torah kind of are at odds with one another. One quoted from the Talmud said that when you're seeking a spouse, you have to be seeking that spouse like you're looking for a lost object, right? So let's say I lost my keys. I know A, of the existence of the keys. B, I know the general area of where those keys are lost. And therefore, the same passion, someone that really needs their keys would look in that area for their keys. So someone needs to look for their spouse. On the other hand, the second or first most often quoted line about matchmaking and dating in Judaism is that it's as difficult as the splitting of the sea. That matchmaking is as difficult as the splitting of the sea. So in other words, you need to basically lean on a degree of miraculousness for a match to work out, to happen. And obviously in Judaism, we do believe in miracles and the sea did split in our history and our viewpoint, but it's difficult and borderline impossible by the laws of nature. And I think both of those kind of summarizes the dating experience for anybody that's really struggled with it. She's out there, he's out there, but also, especially if you've been dating for a while, it feels like you need to split a sea. Yeah. I mean, it, also how funny and apropos that in Jewish lore, we have two opposing views on something. It's like, you know, of course, of course we do. Of course we do. That makes sense. I, I, I totally get it. I mean, hopefully, and I don't think it's just Jewish dating. I think dating in general right now is a confusing place. I think we're wandering in the desert for 40 years as it relates to dating. And we're looking to split the sea and we're looking for that, you know, the the the, what, the bush on fire, you know, we're like, like, and, and, and all that takes some miracles. And it's funny, I, I, I haven't heard the first one before, but when I talk about ideas, the way that I relate to ideas is like, I have a bunch of ideas and then there are certain things that I see so clearly existing. It exists. It just doesn't exist yet. <laughs> and so that sounds like the first one. Like mm -hmm. you see, you know, the keys, you know, they exist. You, you know, general, like you just need to find them. And mm -hmm. so funny, cause I, that resonates deeply with me and, and I hope you know, may it be more resonant with more people as it relates to dating, that they know their partner exists. They know mm -hmm. that, like, that they don't need to settle. They can get like everything they're dreaming for, even though they should be realistic. And the fact that all humans have flaws mm -hmm. and all, you know, every couple has its, has its stuff. In fact, I, I like to, you know, the saying of like, what you seek is seeking you. Like they're out there right now, you know, going on bad dates or going, you know, mm -hmm. like going out at night rallying because they're tired, but they're still going to go looking for you, bro. <laughs> right. <laughs> like it all exists. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's a beautiful, you know, pairing of sayings. Uh, David, is that why you, uh, you put an air tag on Hana? <laughs> <laughs> Please don't criticize the Haredim. Please don't criticize the Haredim. I found the keys. I just don't want to lose them. And it's weird. I can make her make a noise just be until I find her again. <laughs> Low key though, like, everything should have an air tag right now. All your bags, it just it doesn't make sense. Hundred percent. Yeah, maybe Apple. Like Apple, Tim Cook already knows where your spouse is. He just isn't telling yeah. anybody. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tim Cook is behind JPEG. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Fake news. So the concept of it being a, a splitting of the sea for me resonated because I've made matches and I'm, I boast that I've made a couple of matches. And when you see two people from different parts of your life and you set them up and they're really happy together and they're building a family, it is really mean, meaningful. But as I said in my opening monologue, you did that tens of thousands of times in kind of indirectly, you know, it wasn't some mom and pop shidduch with a local matchmaker, but it was through a tool that you developed. So a, did the quantity and B, the automation of it all for you lose any of the magic of a match? No, I mean, for me, it's deep magic, bro. Lately, I've been feeling what I'm, what I'm referring to as deep magic. And my friends are like, you all right? I'm like, yo, I'm fucking great right now. But it's like, what I call deep magic is like, it's like the serendipity of the universe, like the magic that exists around us. And and every every couple, you know, every match, every life change is, is deep magic. It's beautiful, for sure. Now, of course, I don't know all of them. You know, I'd love to. I'd love to give them all high fives and hugs if they want, you know, if they're or air hugs, you know, whatever. But mm -hmm. no, no, I, it, I don't think it lost, you know, it lost the magic on me. There was an era where 
regularly at where I would go because I was also doing a lot of like talks in Jewish communities. I was popping in every week to a different community, wonderful people who like would come up and be like, hey, I just met my, my person. Da, da, da. And it, it feels so deeply special every time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, deeply, deep, deeply special every time for sure. Yeah, I love. I just wanted to ask. You left for a second to get that necklace of fuzzy balls on the string. Oh, is pom poms. Is that yeah? Is pom poms on the string? Is there a meaning? Is there a meaning to that? These are magic pom poms. Okay. I don't no blasphemy here, but it's my version of like talit. It's like my daily practice, my daily joy, daily magic practice. They come from the rural mountains of Chiapas, Mexico, made by these artisans that these families have have made these for generations as as part of their la their garb, their traditional garb. They're magic pom poms because truly, truly. The universe orients more magically around me, for me, through me when I'm hanging out with pom-poms. Sometimes I'll rock it like a sling, like like a sash. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I'll rock it like this, but I'm not rocking it. You know, I put it on something in the room so that there's just like magic like around, you know, avira vibe. Mm-hmm. I actually think that this is fantastic modern tension and as, you know, over over centuries and maybe over the entirety of, of human civilization, this conflict between magic and rationalization, a process that in sociology has been called detraditionalization, where, where the tradition has to do with this kind of religious practice and these things that are inexplicable. And obviously through the 20th century and beyond, getting well we can find reasoning for all these things that we didn't have reasoning before we can find these explanations that are so empirical that it challenges the magical approach but then that can become pretty demoralizing because so much of the strength and so much of the understanding and the and the organization of of social life was based in that kind of root ritual call it spiritual you know religious with lowercase r uh, organization. And so navigating that tension feels like, and it seems like this is kind of how you're doing it, finding magic in these places, but saying, yeah, but I'm, I'm not describing these rational processes of say dating. I'm not putting dating in this magical category. And yet we do have these ineffable things as part of our daily life. Does that, does that seem like a fair? Yeah. I think magic can be applied to anything. For example, dating. Now, oftentimes does it feel like magic when you're living in New York city and going on dates and being like, Oh, not, not it, not my person. Like then you have to follow up and have maybe a uncomfortable conversation. Like, does that feel like magic? No. But the magic I think is internal is knowing that your person is there knowing like, great. Now we know on like, learnings for me like it's a it's a lens that you can live through and live into Mm. i don't think that there's certain areas of magic and certain areas of not magic Mm. this episode of gazal is brought to you by heartbreak by DraftKings. have you ever felt like betting five to five thousand dollars for your kids tuition on the spread of a minor league baseball game just wasn't enough it's simple Instead of money, bet the deepest part of your soul and experience the sublime when it's crushed into irreparable pieces. The best part? There are no refs to yell at, no bad calls to lament. You'll never even know why you lost. Take your thrills to the next level with Heartbreak by DraftKings. Need help? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. She's not going to pick up. If I could just call, side effects may include your mother finding out from the neighbors. So kind of tied to what you were saying about your belief in magic, and obviously everybody probably has their own definition of what that means to them, and it's probably a stand-in for another word that somebody else might use. Totally. It does seem that you are beyond the realm of rigid logic. That's without a doubt. I, I would say probably, yeah, that's the pom-poms and psychedelics giving that one away to you, eh? <laughs> Dead giveaway. <laughs> You know, obviously Judaism definitely believes in in the spiritual. And in a way, when you're developing an app for dating, that kind of gives you a head start because you already have the belief that there is this concept of a bashert, that, you know, somebody is out there for you and, and there is your person. And all of these ideas are kind of transrational. There is no scientific evidence that says everybody has somebody. But if you have that kind of you know, that spiritual side to you, that kind of gives you a head start. Say, no, I know I can match everyone else up because that's that's just my belief system, which is which is a special head start. But let me let me frame it the question that I wanna that I wanna ask this way: Secular Jews would consider you and and all the things that you just espoused religious. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-mm, mm-mm. But keep it with finish your question, then I'll answer. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, religious is a strong term, maybe with wrong connotations, but definitely let's choose spiritual. Spiritual for sure, but I think those are important differentiations. Taking yeah. a lot of yeah. sentiments of religion. If someone's a cold rationalist living their nine to five, they'd put the two of you in the same box. Let's put it that way. Uh, would they put yoga in that box? Do they put Burning Man in that box? Yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah. yeah. This was a um, inflection you know, moment for me in, in, in my life, Jewishly, but, you know, I was raised very conservative reform. Then my parents became a little bit more observant when I was like in kindergarten, I went with that for a little while. And then I started doing my own thing. Maybe when I was like 14, um, then I went to Catholic prep school for two years on my own volition. I applied without telling my parents and got in because (laughs) I was Jewish and the the national cathedral school for boys, St. Albans in Washington, DC for two years. That was a trip. Let me tell you, a trip <laughs> and a half yeah. going from Miami Beach, like Hillel Community Day School, where everyone and everything I knew was Jewish, to then going to be like the Jewish person, almost like billboard Jewish person. And it really shifted my understanding of Jewish identity. Mm. And then anyways, first of all, you said spirit, you mentioned spirituality before. I think one of the biggest broken elements of the Jewish system right now is the uh, is that Jewish spirituality and mysticism is not taught in Hebrew school, is not taught in day schools, it's not taught at summer camps. Maybe it is, but not broadly. You learn the Aleph Bet, you learn Parsha, you learn Navi, you learn all these things, but you don't learn that. At least I didn't. And I did all the things. And then it took me until I was in college and I went to my Chabad rabbi, Rabbi Moshe Blech, to ask him about blessings. I was like, bro, I want to learn what I'm blessing. Like, if I'm going to say blessings, I want to know what I'm saying and why I'm saying it, not just, not just like blah, 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 done. And so he shows up and he tricked me. It was a bait and switch. He's like, great, let's meet on campus. He bait and switched me into, he shows up. He's like, David, it's so nice to see you. You know, so we have an hour together. We're going to learn five minutes of blessings. And we're going to learn 55 minutes of Tanya, Hasidus. And I was like, bro, that's not (laughs) what I was going for, dog. I was looking for the blessing. And thank God he did it because it changed my life. It was, it took me until 22, finding it on my own volition to actually first poke through a hole of Jewish spirituality. And then we wonder why all of the young Jews like don't give a flip anymore. And it's because the flavors that were being served don't resonate. And Bali does, or India does, and right. you know, like spirituality does, right. and, and and you know, yoga does, and all these Buddhist philosophy does. But like we have so much depth in Judaism that just isn't what they're typically served. So, anyways, I think Jewish spirituality is a whole thing, and unfortunately, a big error in the system, which is not working because it's not giving you know people what they want to actually resonate with them before they yeah. find it elsewhere by the way may they find it everywhere amen i couldn't agree with you more my wife runs a hebrew school and our job on the day of hebrew school is to teach kids but our job the other six and a half days is to convince parents that our hebrew school wasn't as bad of an experience as theirs was growing up it yeah. seems like it's broken pretty universal broken system and it's unfortunate because there's unfortunately lots of things in the jewish world that are broken and the powers that be, the decision makers, the funding dollars are still run by people who don't even yet fully get that it's broken. Respectfully, I love, you know, they're doing, they've done great things. They established a powerful Jewish world. But like, just like innovation, just like technology, we need to be rapid innovating. And unfortunately, lots of things are not. And anyways, so that results in that. But back to really what you were saying about, you let me, know. Let me ask my question, then I want to hear your yeah, answer. Yeah, yeah. I'd say, fine, we, you don't want to put it, you know, associate with either of the boxes of pure rationalism versus pure religionism. And I'll, I'll grant you that. But let's say you fall somewhere in between, right? So you're in this really happy medium where you acknowledge the existence of things that you can't touch, right? Some, some form of spirituality. But it isn't in the rigid form as typically associated with, let's say, halachic Judaism. Okay, perfect. That's where I fall. Yeah. What would your perspective's argument be for a young Jew to marry Jewish? In other words, from my perspective, it's a lot easier to answer that question because I come from a place that says, hey, these are my, my pretty clear Jewish values and we want to inculcate that in the, in the next generation. Yeah. So here it yeah. is. But with your more fluid mindset, what would be the, the argument to go onto J-Swipe or whichever Jewish dating app and, and yeah. pursue that? The first thing I'd say is um, I do not necessarily push. I, that's not my holding. I don't hold that you must, and I don't push people to. And I will share a, a moment that blew my mind. It was probably about four years ago from a deep, deep like mentor and brother and friend of mine, Seth Cohen, formerly Schusterman, now at Forbes. Um, changed my life, but long story. And we were sitting, we were talking about, you know, he was like, so are you dating anyone? This is years ago. I was like, well, no, I was dating someone. I met her at Burning Man. She's incredible but she wasn't Jewish. And so eventually, and we know we didn't, 
you know, progress. And he's like, are you, he's like, bro, are you still playing that game? Like, <laughs> bro, that, like we lost that game, like, like 51, or maybe it's now 70, but let's say at least 51% of like millennial marriages are now not Jew Jewish, mar like Jewish millennials are, I think it's actually in the seventies are like, like interfaith marriages. And now the question is, everyone's bringing a plus one to the table for the next generation. <laughs> the question is, how do we ensure that that plus one feels welcome, feels at home, feels interested, feel like feels called. It doesn't feel alienated because let me tell you, most of the time they're the black sheep at the table. People are like shunning their children who interfaith marry, which is by the way, look at the data, huge percent of people. So we're actually turning people away, turning people off. And you could be damn sure if that spouse feels like, not welcome, not involved, and like kind of feels like not included, that then we're going to lose the other, we're going to lose the, the Jewish person because they're going to, you know, go. And so the real question he proposed, and it blew my mind because I had never heard this thought process before, but he's like, you know, really the question is, how do we meaningfully engage the plus one so that they all want to come back? And frankly, if we look at, again, we look at the scoreboard, like, we're, I think, losing a lot of the games right now. Like people are less interested widely. People are, you know, interfaith marriages at, you know, all time highs, et cetera. And um, if we, and, and I agree, we're at, we're, at, we're at a really critical point where we could use some more allies. We could use some allies in different communities. We could use some, you know, some advocates. We could use, and the othering that I find in lots of, you know, maybe religions in general, but also in Judaism and like us versus them like it's that we can't have that at least i believe that like we need more of universal oneness and less us versus themness especially in this new era when i realized it was my first burning man shabbat that i went to so eight years ago and it was like so beautiful and so like vibey and also so spiritual and there was people of every background there every walk of life ever sharing a shabbat experience like that was mamash kodesh that was holy 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 special experience for me and I was like, wow, I gave myself permission from then on to actually create Jewish experiences that resonate with me, that actually would then resonate with my friends. So friends, and by the way, it's still a Shabbat dinner. It's still based on the themes and the traditions and all the things. But, you know, like maybe we'll have a lot of candles all over the place. We'll still light the candles, but I wanted like, like to create the vibe and, and, and it's no, you know, and it's, it's, it's resonates with people. Even the holes are Rishus Meichel. Even the holes by Susus Seichel. Wissen wir wilder in die Hander, a Villa Galizianer. So geht du sag mich Weil bei mir bist die Scheine, bei mir hast die Scheine, bei mir. When when the base of Mikdash was destroyed, and you know, in order to preserve the Jewish like the Jewish people, humans, men at the time, humans, I think it was called the Zal. Tell me if I'm wrong. Created the religion and the structures and the laws. Not all. Some of them are Torah, but like going to shul. That's created by man, not God, or maybe both. But like like three davening three times a day like many of the things we do today are created by man in light or like in honor of god right and so for me when i like am seeing widespread apathy widespread disengagement widespread like uninterest you know and then i could see pockets of like really potent magic and I, if i could blend the two worlds you know, I, I feel really good in creating Shabbat experiences that are that people really fucking love to come to. And if I take a little leeway as again, as a human to reimagine some of the, you know, you know, some of the, you know, things that, again, formerly humans created for us that we now live in today as rules of the, the, the law, then, you know, to each their own, you know, it will resonate with some. If I could bring more people to Shabbat that wouldn't otherwise come, then that's a blessing. And that's my mission. Yeah. It's definitely difficult to respond to something when you had a beautiful discourse of like 100 things. But I guess the, the general umbrella of my thinking is, and maybe you could help explain this from your perspective, at which point do you get concerned about losing the thread? Let's put it this way. I am right now glare. Like I'm actually not because I live, I try to as a practice live in Shefa, like live in possibility and abundance. So I don't versus fear and scarcity. And every, every moment of every day, we can either process things that come up 
-hmm. everything that comes up fear and scarcity and we are conditioned throughout life and upbringing to process through fear and scarcity how are they going to get us will this succeed are they out to screw us like do they like me do like we're conditioned but if we can build the muscle to process through possibility and abundance like more becomes available to us that's kind of where magic comes from or magic pom-pom anyways but so I don't necessarily sit in this feeling every day, but to your question of when do we become concerned, bro, if the Jewish world at large isn't glaring level alert red concerned right now in, in like for the last three, five years, like right now, three, is five, when concern dude, is here. dude, we've already, I mean, 10, 20, like if the world isn't glaringly red level alert concerned about that, about that continu- continuity, then, which by the way, is part of what feel makes me feel called to do this work because I don't feel that from the powers that be in the Jewish world. Like I kind of feel whenever you go to the conferences, you feel like everything's good. Oh, 100%, 100%. And I think even your viewpoint is even skewed by being surrounded by the Jews. In other words, I look at it this way as a, as a rabbi in Indiana that it's already been shattered for 40 years and this is what happens, all right? So the this is my theory and I think we overlap for a lot of it. Jews in America basically were given this vacuous Judaism from roughly like 1950, all right? It had to do with uh, the immigrants coming over, having this language barrier, mentality barrier, having a hard time conveying it. And the next generation either actively rebelled or had a very empty connection to their Judaism where there was a lot of guilt involved. They just said like, this is something we do, not something we understand. And then our generation is the next one. And... 95% of our generation, David, you don't even know about. Mm. In other words, when you are in Miami, LA, uh, New York, Chicago, you're surrounding yourself with a few people that say, even though this shit sucks, we're still going to try to make something work. 95% of the people aren't doing anything. Zero. They don't give a flip. And by the way, you're the first person that I've talked to. So this is really reassuring. Thank goodness you exist. You should come to something that we're creating called the Jewish Future Summit, which is bringing Jewish you know, like leaders and thinkers together from across the world of all different viewpoints that actually sit and talk about the reality of what's going on, which is this. But you're the first person I've spoken to that actually holds the same rough range of percentages as I do. Because, yeah, 99% of people don't give a fuck. <laughs> and a few people do. And the fact that that isn't like widely a concern by the, by the way, by the hundreds of millions of dollars that are spent every year trying to engage the next generation of Jewish people is is baffling, dog. Baffling. David, listen to our anti-Semitism episode. Literally, I was you know <laughs> harping on the hundreds of millions of dollars spent for the most ridiculous of stuff. Okay, well, I'm so excited to Whatever. jam with you, bro. Yeah. I'm so excited it, to tell you. What a blessing. But the, that's where we agree. The disagreement, I think, will stem. And again, you, you said a lot of specific things, which I agree with passionately. Not just agree with, but agree with passionately. But a lot of specific things that I disagree with. And the one thing that you have to grapple with if we want to kind of create a Judaism for the next hundred years, that it won't be strictly ultra-Orthodox. Because the ultra-Orthodox are doing fine. They're doing, They're doing their beautiful. Thing. Yeah. They're doing their thing. And for all we care in 50 years from now, if things are left to the current devices, there'll be Judaism and everything, everything else will be gone. And I, as an Orthodox person, as a Chabad rabbi, that makes me very sad because I think it would be beautiful if we had a vast array of Judaism, A, and B, each Jew lost is a tragedy on my part. The question where, where we, you and I will probably split is in the realm of solutions. And the big concern that any Chabad rabbi has, especially if they're dealing with young people, is where are you going to lose the thread. In other words, we're looking to maintain Judaism. But at a certain point, if we just become extremely Woodstock and everything is just peace and love, then great, you're engaging people. But how is this Jewish engagement? How is this a solution to our problem? If you're looking to create community, you've done it. Knock yourself out and the world became a better place because of it. But if you're looking to create Jewish community, where do you say we've we've kind of lost the the entire thing that we're maintaining i think that's the onus of the of the of the um artist like that's on the onus of the creator of experiences to ensure like for example you know like the shabbat that i hold or the sukkot that we're gonna have if it's just a four-day festival and we do nothing sukkot but it's called sukkot is that sukkot no and that's not the plan mm-hmm. but i i hold the responsibility and the people that i'm you know collaborating with we 
hold the responsibility of ensuring that we instill the essence of Suko into the experience, that we share that forward. And and I don't think, and first of all, I love that we maybe loosely disagree because that's what, that's Talmud, right? right. Let's, let's go, yeah. baby. Let's archive this and let's write it with Rashi that I can't fully read, but like, <laughs> let's go. And... But I think that's that's it's an important question because like lots of times I'll talk about vibey Shabbat. It's a big, big, big you know thing that of mine, um, and it's the idea that like we're wondering why people aren't going to Shabbat on campus. Although obviously Chabad is the most successful Jewish organization that exists, and oftentimes they do. But like I don't mean to pick on Hillel because I respect them. And if you're a college freshman and you are just now feeling your freedom and you like have the opportunity, it's the first weekend of school. Cool. And you can either go to the party where everyone in your new floor and your new roommates are going mm -hmm. at like the cool sport team or fraternity, whatever. Or you can go to like a white sterile room with like lukewarm chicken on styrofoam plates. <laughs> You're never, ever, 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 ever going to choose that. And then here, the like then people, the you know, the adults in the room are like, well, why aren't they coming? It's like, well, let me give you, <laughs> let me tell you, it's the product that we're serving. And so then the question becomes, how do we serve a product that's vibrant, that's juicy, that's that like that they would choose otherwise to come to? And and then to your point, we have the responsibility to instill it with the essence, with the with the with the with the with the Jewish. Like you know, it's not it's not. I'm just saying, let's have pom poms hanging around a room and call it Shabbat, right? Right. right? Like right. if you don't do Shabbat things, you got to do the things now. I think where we would disagree, though, is I take the I give myself permission and leeway to reinterpret some things. And and you would and I understand and respect it, obviously, fully. And I agree that it's because of your under it's because of your kavod, because of your respect and honor for the law that it will continue no matter what in X amount of years through the people who do that respect. Mm -hmm. And and so that's where I think we'd you know disagree. Like I might have some vibey music in the background. You probably wouldn't. I might have a, a acoustic, a, you know, friend who plays app in the right, after right, party, right. like well, like some acoustic guitar. And to me, that's okay. And I understand that halakhically. No, it's but not this is this is particulars. Like you know, obviously, yeah. uh, Chabad event will never have music after sundown on Shabbat. That's easy. But like the the, the greatness of music, and every non-Shabbat event has music blaring. You know, it's like for sure. And it, this for is sure. just this is just the specifics. This episode of this all is also brought to you by Indomitability of the Human Spirit by Herbalife. Hey, are you a real piece of shit? Do you think you're not strong enough to take that next step, face that next challenge? Just when you think you can't take it anymore, try the newest blend from Herbalife, Indomitability of the Human Spirit. Mixes all natural properties of hope, perseverance, connection with loved ones, combined with You Did Manage to Shower Today extract in a proprietary blend available to everyone except squirrels. Don't wait. Ask your friends today about Indomitability of the Human Spirit. They might even show you you've had some all along. Adam, you know, you're the you're the sociologist in the room. Where do you see the general movement of a community? I, I guess Dave and I basically agree that the community is in disarray and we're just trying to salvage whatever is left of it. What what would be from a sociologically correct perspective the move? Well, I got to say if I were I mean, the academic style, there have been so many things that you guys have touched on. So if I were, you know, an academic, I would have so many footnotes and little pieces, write full articles responding to one little mm -hmm. piece, you know, like, right, right, it's right, the only right, problem right. with a podcast, you know, that it's, it's linear, you know, we move through time in one direction. I wish we could do the sort of interstellar thing where we have like a, <laughs> a fourth dimension so you could listen to the podcast, but somehow like exist outside of time and have... Dave David, right. David, do the do the pom poms do that? The pom poms and LSD. <laughs> yeah, yeah, baby, yeah. we're there. Yeah, we're there. Um, I thought it was really interesting, David, that when you said about the continuity of Judaism and your kind of your attitude towards, I mean, it was your children, the next generation. What you said was that you were interested in inculcating your children with these traditions and i thought i was going to say well that feels like where i was going to fall i thought you were going to say something like eh, well because it's the law because this is just what you do like at that level of practice and for me i i feel like maybe as a relatively kind of representative american suburban jew who grew up where like the Santa from the town might come and show up at the house until you realize like, oh, he's coming through the front door. So like maybe Santa isn't real, you know, <laughs> but having exposure to those things makes me feel like, OK, yeah. But as I get 
And my introduction was not through Hillel to these more Jewish practices. It was through things like Chabad and just curiosity and talking to you and doing Zal-like things. Then it became, well, hold on, you know, the value of ritual over time, the value of doing things just because they've been done is, is, is the kind of reasoning that answers, and now let's get back to the sociological trends, a real trend towards the absurd and dealing with this conflict between meaning-making and meaninglessness that exists in modern society. We see so many different ways of living, and that makes us critical of our own basic structures. We go, wait a minute, there's another way to live. And that makes it very hard as a critical person. And Jews are critical people to start out with, but everybody Mm -hmm. is going, well, shoot, then what's the foundation that I live with? And so this is where, again, the idea of a Jewish ritual where you go, hey, listen, people have been doing it for thousands of years. That's a, that's a good start. Like I can, I can work with that. You're touching on a bunch of topics, Adam, that are very Kabbalistic, frankly, and they probably deserve a try, not a part of one episode, but like three episodes on it. It's the, it's <laughs> not the tension. We yeah. always say 10. <laughs> a it ten, always deserves right? 10. Yeah. <laughs> but the, the tension between Kabbalat Ol and Tamvadat, right? Kabbalat Ol is the acceptance of the yoke, kind of just we do it because we do it, like an animal just accepts the yoke, versus reason and understanding of what you're doing. And pretty much across Judaism, obviously, you have the underline of Kabbalah Tol. In other words, if you're an observant Jew, you'll be doing everything. That's pretty straightforward. But if you're an examined observant Jew, then you examine each and everything that you're engaged in and see how it interacts with your intellect and with your emotions and with all the faculties of your being. And not only is that okay Jewishly. Some people think it's not okay. Not only is that okay Jewishly, it's a mitzvah. It's expected. Your Judaism is meant to seep into all aspects of of your being and not just in the most external actions, right? If I'm just doing something, then it's only seeped into my actions, but not into my thought or my speech and not to mention intellect and emotions, etc. So you, you touched on all the excellent points, but the simple answer is we need to juggle both. That's the simple answer from an observant perspective. Always is, right? Yeah. yeah. So let me, we've, we've managed to get pretty philosophical, but I want to digress a little bit, if you don't mind, because just to touch on your practical expertise, David, here's a fun experiment, all right? In Indianapolis, all the young Jews that I interact with already make fun of me that basically at 30% of dinner parties, I end up at this conversation somehow. But I have this app idea, and you're an ideas person, so... Uh-oh, uh-oh. You're cool, David, we're doing this? Got you, got you. Yes, dear listener, this is the part of the podcast where an Orthodox rabbi pitches an app. All right, I have a name. The name for the app is called Frum. F-R, to make it a little hip, we're going to take the U of Frum and put two dots on top of it. Give that like a Scandinavian U or something. A little haagen yeah. Yeah, exactly. We got the, we got the one-syllable app name. We're in, good, we're in good shape. Frum, all right? Frum means observant. Usually that's how it's used. And the concept of the dating app would be to apply standards and principles and values from the observant Jewish dating scene and apply that not just to the broader Jewish world, but to all people. And we'll go aspect by aspect. And I guess I'll go from low to hard, all right? From like least eyebrow raising to most eyebrow raising of ultra-Orthodox Jewish standards and apply that to the rest of the world. And you tell me your thoughts on it, whether it'll even be possible, whether there'll be an audience for this, et cetera. All right. Okay. Here's, I got, so far I got four in my mind, but maybe we'll extend it. All right. Number one, and this, someone's already done this one. So that's really not a big deal. I think with loop it's called, but more peers setting up their peers. Should absolutely happen. It's a new frontier. I don't think anyone's fully cracked it. Yes. Loop is recently started and may they succeed. Great idea. All right. Secondly, even though I don't know any specific app with this one, but I assume people are doing it, a big problem in the modern dating world is the overwhelming optionality, 
you know, you could just swipe forever. Paradox of choice. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Even if you're on JSwipe, but in your big Jewish city, you'll also be able to swipe forever. And that basically always has a dating Jew looking over their shoulder for something better, but generally sets the tone of uninvestment. Like you don't try to make things work with a human being. Like you said before, every human being has flaws. So would a dating app that only offers, let's say five potentials a week, would that work? Or matches a week? No matches. We'll handpick it. Maybe there'll be a subscription service. I was about to say, basically let's call that curation. So the better the algorithm can be, yeah, the better, the more that would work. Like no one wants to sit there and swipe through a bunch of people that like won't, you know, that don't resonate. So whether that's AI powered or human powered or a combination of AI plus human or whatever. Yeah, for sure. Curated experiences, I think are elevated experiences. Mm-hmm. The advantages of dating like an observant Jew, if for those that don't know, one of the advantages is that you'll get married. That's first of all, <laughs> the percentage of people that want to be married and aren't is far, far lower. But B, the marriages tend to last much more and C, they tend to be happier, you know, with all the statistics. So just if someone was wondering at the outset of this conversation, why would someone want that? This would be the why. Okay, next idea, next aspect of this app. And tell me if this has any chance of working in a non tight-knit community. There takes this intense, maybe intense is the wrong term, but thorough research project before even going out on date one. With my wife, we had some contacts that we got a lot of details about my wife, even before date one, Mm. which I find Mm -hmm. that many people in the non-observant Jewish world, they'll go out on like six months worth of dates just to find out that on a very technical detail, they aren't gonna work do you know if mercury's a retrograde do you care if it is near a constellation you don't brag about being a gemini right he wants to move back to albuquerque and she's from indiana she doesn't want to live in albuquerque and that's a game ender you know game over had they known all these very practical kind of plain details in advance that wouldn't work so let me just frame this question this way would very detailed research into a person be too much for uh, you know in the dating pool of chabad girls it's a, you know a couple of tens of thousands but in a world with millions of people if this app knew so much intimate details about your life just to make sure that it works on technical grounds would that be too much for people i think that the better the more information you know the better a and frankly that sounds almost more helpful for the curation part of it not necessarily overloading the person. Like you don't want someone to come so studied on someone. It's like people say like nowadays, like people are Googling you before a date. It's like, yeah, you want them to know some of the basics. The only thing I will will say is that like, there are often really magical, unusual pairings. Like Mm -hmm. the people who both love hockey and you know, whatever, like might not be like, it actually (laughs) might be someone who loves art and loves hockey, but they actually have shared beliefs, right? Shared Mm -hmm. values. And so as long as you're, you know, that I think is helpful, but it's most helpful for the curation of people. Mm-hmm. And you have to in- invite the serendipity as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was, that was the word I was going to use, this, this balance between like curation, however smart it is, and AI, which, which you know, at this point is probably trying to optimize against that with, with serendipity seems like, seems like really the goal. In a surprise turn of events and a symbol of humanitarian unity, this episode of This All is also brought to you by Shellfish. Um, I, I, I had a couple of questions that I think build on this. Um, and let, let me just see if I can wrap, connect, these, connect these two to each other. But I was wondering if you think that there's a major distinction between the ways that Jewish dating would function and normal dating and i i feel like i can say normal just because i am recognizing like a user group that probably has like a more than average experience with the herring you know <laughs> like is there distinction there or is there something that one can learn from the other and vice versa i think the main distinction that i would make is that more more often than not in quote jewish dating people are specifically looking for someone jewish and I think that that might that's both beautiful because to your earlier question, David, about continuity, I want to do Shabbats forever. And I want my partner to not just be doing Shabbats with me, you know, for me, right. but for the mm-hmm. same reason and the same depth of soul connection to the experience and the fact that our great-great-great-great-great-grandparents were doing Shabbats and blessing their kids and saying kid, like, and then hopefully our great-great-great-great-grandkids will doing Shabbat. Like, I love that. Mm-hmm. And so there's mm-hmm. something to that. Mm-hmm. And with 0.00 whatever 1% of the world, 
the pool is also limited. And so nowadays, they, you know, the, the main addition is, I guess, or the main difference is a filter and the filter is Jewish, like which, which yeah. limits the pool, which limits the possibility. And so hopefully people can, you know, have it all, you know, find the person who's both Jewish and resonates with them on their values and on their dreams, mm-hmm. et cetera. That's the main thing I'd say. And I don't know if you're asking more about like Jewish dating, Allah, what David's talking about, like from dating, which is like, should people take more from that? And I, right. I think there are things that could be, you know, taken from that, which is your whole point with right. the app. Yeah. Quick, two more aspects to the app, and these are the most intense ones. First of all, indeed, dear listener, this is the second part of the episode where an Orthodox rabbi continues to pitch an app. First of all, do you think any secular Jew or really non-Jewish person would ever agree to join an app that doesn't have premarital sex? Uh, In other words, let me let me add a little asterisk. All right. So obviously, if they're growing up in a secular world, premarital sex is expected. So I'm not going to say which is most of the people that we're talking about growing up. Yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. We're not throwing people off the app if it happens. But I guess when you're joining this app, there's the expectation that this is not expected. In other words, we're going to be dating strictly with the focus of seeing whether this works. We don't want to get confused with infatuation or start investing a lot of time in a person that you just want to get laid with, but you're not, you don't really see a future with them. So you just kind of both go in with the human agreement that this is not our goal. We truly want to get to know each other. Would there be an audience? I think it's an interesting science experiment that is worth a shot. You know, I don't want to make a counterpoint, but I, you know, I think that for at least for the people that you're talking about in the secular world who are already, you know, physically engaged, that like there is something to, you know, ensuring that there is physical compatibility. And like, I actually think that's for me, at least very important. And so, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. there's something to that, but I, I also understand. And I think it is interesting the things that you're saying as well. So maybe if there's an app with the intentionality of that, and then, mm-hmm. and you're saying like freeing the expectation, that's cool. Um, right. And would people sign up? Yeah, it, may, it may be, I, you know, not no, but, but, you know, with an asterisk, maybe. <laughs> Right. Yeah. And then final one. One of the reasons why things seem to work in the observant Jewish world is that people get straight to business. So depending on which particular community you're in, if you're in the communities that are being displayed often on Netflix, you might date for a week. Right. And then there's the entire gamut of up to a year. But let's say the average is between three and six months in the observant Jewish dating world, which, in my opinion, that's more than enough time to determine whether this person is right for you. Yeah. So the question is, would anyone agree to joining an app that has the expectation of engagement with- Have you seen the show, the Netflix show, what is it, Love is Blind? Have you seen Love is Blind? There's all these shows now where people are agreeing to go into a booth and talk to someone and get engaged. So sure, I mean, like some people, some people would by virtue of the show being a success that people are watching and finding. How long is their, how long is their time there? Like two weeks, like it's like two, three weeks. It's short. Right. Right. I think six months is more reasonable. Yeah. I mean, uh, yes. And not everyone is like looking for that right now. So you'll be getting a slice of people who are looking for that. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Right. It's a selection bias. I was just thinking, going back to what we were talking about in terms of, you know, that 0.01 dating pool and and, you know, to take a legal approach to David, what you said where you're like, tradition is the most important thing. Well, what are the possibilities to expand that pool by saying, what about people that are willing to do all the Jewish things, which is kind of what we're talking about. If you do the stuff, then you are in spirit being Jewish. Have Shabbat. Like people or love even that. Converting. People I mean, love that shit. We had or converting legally. Yeah. Option on J-Swipe. It was like all the different religious levels or observance, you know, I identities and then um and then willing to convert in other but often you know often people who convert are actually more observant than like or more for you sure. know, practicing than like 95 percent of the people that we're talking about are young jews we really don't but anyway yeah, yeah that's are you willing to hang out with my family or whoever on friday night light a candle drink some wine are you willing to just commit to do that basically every friday that's a thing it's hard to systematize that. It's really hard to systematize that. Yeah, no, I understand that one tiny last thing. If you had to if you had to say like kind of in, you know, one top trend in dating that you've noticed. Is there one? I mean, I think the most important thing in my main my main advice would be you know, like like Love was talking about the paradox of choice. The modern dating scene is really um actually isn't designed to help us, right? Dating apps help mm. give us more options, which often takes us by like science. It it makes us it makes it harder to choose and it makes it more likely to regret our choice once we choose. And so we need to do things to actually help ourselves. Like, great, it's a system that's unlocked possibility. You could be in your pajamas on a Sunday, having access to every Jewish person who's single in New York or who wants to, like, that's amazing. 
But I think the most important things are like three core tenets. One, to be clear on what you're looking for. Like if you're looking for fun, be clear with yourself on that and honest with yourself. If you're looking for right. love and marriage and big love, like be honest with yourself. Don't tell yourself you're looking to get married and then go out and like screw around, have fun. Like that's just, that's just lying to yourself. So be clear mm -hmm. with what you're looking for. Two, clear space. Meaning if you're looking for love and you're, you know, again, out there, you know, you know, hooking up with, you know, your, your ex, like every, you know, in someone else, like throughout the week, like you're not energetically, your container isn't clean. You're clear, your vessel, it's, there's too mm -hmm. much other energy there. So be clear space and then see, jump in, dive in, lean in, like, like magic happens, not in the comfort zone. And it's, it's, it's hard to be vulnerable often, or some people find it hard to show up and put it on the table. Hey, date one, this is what I'm looking for. This is what mm -hmm. my dreams are. These are what right. my core values are. These are what my like non-starters are. Like, does that resonate with you? That's not the standard practice. And then once mm -hmm. it does, if there's a little magic, it's like, wait, we want to protect ourselves. Wait, we might be hurt. Like, wait, uh, uh, but no, dive in. So mm -hmm. be clear with yourself on what you're looking for, clear space and dive in. I unfortunately have to go, wow. but I'd love to give gift each of you a magic pom-poms in your life <laughs> uh, um, just so you can feel a little bit of magic absolutely uh, magicpompoms.com the code is friends of david i would say don't share it but technically anyone who's listening should also have some magic so shefa let's live in abundance and then also you guys both have to be at the jewish future summit because this that's where we're going to really go into boldly all of these topics like let's not shun away from them or pretend that it isn't code red level alert of like continuity in the through line like Let's dive right into it and discuss it with other people who think like us. So please come. My man, thank you so much. Yeah, let's do this more. You guys are great. I've loved it. Thanks, David. Take care. Okay. Have a good day. Thanks, David. Bless you, brother. Love, guys. Blessings and love. Bye. Well, that is it for episode 36. That is two times high if who are interested in that sort of thing. Um, thank you to David Yaris uh, so much. Uh, check the music in the liner notes. Let us know if you found love bonding over our podcast and we will fill your wedding halls with kegs of banana shevets. We love you all and catch you soon. Oh, if they're well.